Amen. Lord, that's so true. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. You are so faithful when we are so faithless. You're such a great and an awesome God. Lord, I just pray as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. May we be encouraged. May we be strengthened. May we be exhorted in our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Again, if you didn't raise your hand earlier for a Bible, you're going to need one. So raise your hand now and then turn to Joshua chapter 3, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. encourage you to read Ephesians 1 for Sunday. Begin a, yet another book, going to another letter. All right, now, catch you up again briefly, Joshua. This is a great book. And for many reasons, like every book in the Bible is a great book, but I love Joshua because now we're moving into the land of promise. After all of the struggles, after all the time in the wilderness, after all the disobedience and rebellion and all the consequences of it, now finally we're going to get to watch the children of Israel, after an entire generation has passed away, enter into all that God had for them. We talked the last couple weeks about Joshua himself and how he was about 95 years old at this time. Everybody thinks he was some young buff guy leading them in, but he was 95 according to my calculations from Scripture. And what's awesome is God was preparing Joshua his entire life to be the man that would lead them in, and he had no clue. And God does the same thing with us. God's using trials and difficulties and things we're going through in life. We have no idea that it's preparation for what God has next. But we need to learn to trust in the Lord. Joshua was born a slave, he became a soldier, he was then a servant and a spy, and finally a successor. Now what are we going to see as we're going through into Joshua? Again, what we're seeing now is the application for you and I that God has more for us. That there's more than just being, you know, being saved, and I shouldn't say just being saved because that's it, amen? But at the same time, we should not be satisfied with being saved alone. There should be a hunger and a desire to have more than the get out of hell free card, to have more than the just you know, being saved as by fire, but that we would walk in the center of God's will, that we'd experience all that God has for us. As we've talked about before, that the Old Testament is a picture book of New Testament principles. So when you look at New Testament principles, you look in the Old Testament and you see the pictures or the types. And as we talked about, Joshua's name is transliterated, in, again, in Greek to Yahshua, right? I mean, transliterated to Greek, which would then be Jesus. From the Hebrew Yahshua, he becomes Jesus. And so Jesus is, again, Joshua is a type or picture of the Lord, leading them into the land of promise. So last week, we looked at, after seeing, again, God raising up the next leader, and that that leader would be Joshua, we then saw an example of how God not only uses faithful Jews, but he also uses and transforms the lives of rebellious Gentiles. Last week we saw the story of Rahab, and as we talked about, Rahab was a woman who had basically lived as ungodly a life as you possibly could. She was living in Jericho, an idolater no doubt, a prostitute, a woman totally outside of God's will. And they send in two spies who think they're going into the land to spy out the land. And instead, God had another plan for them. 
They thought they were going in to be spies and they were going in to be witnesses. They end up sharing with Rahab. As we know, Rahab gives her life to the Lord. She's heard all about the conquest of Almighty God. And now she puts feet to her faith. She doesn't just say, I believe in God, but she hides the spies. She protects them from the king. She helps them, helps them escape. She intercedes on behalf of her family. And finally, she hangs the red cord out of her window. Last week, we talked about this as being a picture to me of Gentile Passover. Because it was the blood in the shape of the cross that the angel of death passed over and delivered the Jews out of bondage. And when she hung that cord out of her window, the window seal was painted red. That was a way like the red light district. That's how you knew who the prostitutes were. And when you hung the cord out, now that along with that red window seal, you had the shape of a cross hanging in the side of Jericho. You gotta love it. And an idolatrous nation, here hangs the cross. Prior to the cross, of course, even it being a form of punishment. So we saw how God used Rahab, and we know that she went from being a, a woman, a, again, of living in the land of idolatry, a, a prostitute, to a woman who was used mightily by God, who would later, again, be the ancestor of Jesus. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. Think about that. And I love that because there's two women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And it's Sarah, again a godly Jew, and Rahab, a godless Gentile, who both got right with God and then were, again, those who God would call, even mention, in the hall of faith. So praise the Lord. That's an encouragement to all of us that God can use us. Amen? It doesn't matter what our past is like. It doesn't matter what our background is. It just means that God can use any one of us. Because it's not us, it's God in us that does great things. And so we saw that picture of Rahab, and I love it. And I also want to, again, remind you that those guys went in to be spies and ended up being witnesses. And you might think you're going to work to be a mechanic or be a salesman or be a full-time mom or whatever it is you're doing. But the reality is that the number one reason you're getting up in the morning is to be a witness. And may we be faithful and obedient to God's calling upon our lives. Well, tonight we're finally going to get ready to go into the Jordan. And the Jordan, as we've talked about, is a picture or a type of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 10 that the Red Sea is a picture of water baptism. So delivered out of bondage in Egypt, a picture of salvation, the Passover. Red Sea, a picture of baptism. Wandering in the wilderness, again, that walk with the Lord and the trials and struggles of life. And then yet God has something more. You know, it says in Luke that he breathed the Spirit within him, but then he still told them to go and wait because he was going to put the Spirit, give the Spirit upon them. And too many Christians are walking around in the wilderness having that dry experience when God has so much more for us. You know what? I so want everything God has for me. How about you? And I'm not talking about stuff at all. I find that the more I fall in love with the Lord, the less I care about stuff. What I want and I desire is Him. I want that which is not, you know, again, going to pass away. So I titled the message tonight, those of you who take notes, Stepping Out in Faith. Stepping Out in Faith. And we'll see two main points, words of faith, instructions for a more faithful walk. And we'll see several of those. And then in the latter portion of the chapter, we'll not only see the words of faith, but the walk of faith. We're going to get the instructions on how to live a more faithful life, but then we're going to see the prompting to take action, to put feet to our faith. Again, the children of Israel were God's chosen people, and yet they were missing out on God's highest 
Why? Because they did not heed the word of God. If you'll remember why they were kept out of the, the land of promise, because the word came back from the spies, and they listened to the words of men over the word of God. And there's, there's nothing new under the sun. The reason you and I struggle and we're not as on fire for God sometimes is we're more listening to the word of men than the word of God. We're wandering in the wilderness and we're living a, a dry life and we're not having, again, an impact on the world around us because partially it's so much easier to stay where it's comfortable, to stay where things are familiar, than it is to step out in faith and do things that are outside of our comfort zone. You know what? Lukewarmness, complacency, and a lack of faith in God and His Word have led untold millions of Christians into being satisfied with less than God's highest. My prayer as I was studying this chapter was, Lord, light a fire in all of us. Light a fire in all of us that we would not be satisfied with less than God's highest. That we would be those who would hunger and thirst for everything that God has. And that we would be encouraged and strengthened and exhorted in our walk with Him. Especially when we know that there's something greater that God has for us. It's easier to be like the two and a half tribes who camped outside of the Jordan, remember? The two and a half tribes said, you know, it's good here. I'll just stay here. Why do I have to go into the land of promise when I can just stay here? The enemy's already been defeated, but in the end, you miss out on God's blessing. You miss out on His presence. And you're, as we saw with the, uh, the Gadarenes, your cows turn into pigs. You had to have been here, I guess. All right? The cattle they were so proud of became pigs. So let's begin in Joshua 3. Stepping out in faith, words of faith, instructions for a more fruitful walk. If you're a note taker, we're going to have several things for you to write down as far as instructions for a more fruitful walk. Beginning in verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning. Now, then, then after what? After the spies had come back, and they, they relayed the words of Rahab. If you remember, they quoted Rahab almost word for word last week. And they said, what did they say? They said, you know what? The people here are scared to death. I'm paraphrasing. They're scared to death because they've heard about how powerful your God is, and they know we're in trouble. And they're faint-hearted because of you, because of the children of Israel. And they ran back and gave that same word to Joshua and said, the people in the land are faint-hearted. They've heard how we've wiped out Sihon and Og. They heard about the battles that we've won, the parting of the Red Sea, even though it was 40 years ago, and they're fearful of our God. And it says, then he rose early in the morning. Now, I love this because the morning is a great time to meet the Lord. I want to encourage you that I believe the number one instruction for a more fruitful walk is begin your day with the Lord. The fact that he rose early reveals Joshua's eagerness and zeal to get busy about his calling, to lead a massive group of two to three million people into a long-awaited land of promise. And in the Bible, good things happen early in the morning. Moses rose early in the morning to spend time with God. David rose early in the morning to spend time with God. Hezekiah rose early in the morning to spend time with God. Daniel arose early in the morning to spend time with God. And best of all, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, rose early every morning to spend time in the presence of the Father. Do we think we have a pattern here? And I want to encourage us that it's really easy to just turn over in bed and hit the snooze alarm or whatever, instead of beginning your day with the Lord. And I promise you, if you begin your day with the Lord, your day will be different. Amen? Your focus will be different. Your passion will be different. When you get to work, your attitude will be different. The way you drive in traffic, I promise you, will be different on the way to work. If you began your day with the Lord, 
Coming before the Lord as we begin our day, we receive direction from Him. We're strengthened by Him. We're refreshed by Him. And again, as we saw in Jesus, He's that ultimate example. So step number one for a more faithful walk is arise early and eager and begin your day with the Lord. Remember this, that faith is nurtured by worship and the Word. You want your faith to grow? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by? Word of God. Romans 10, 17, our theme verse for Calvary Chapel. It's faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I'm struggling with my faith. Spend more time in the Word. I'm struggling in my walk. Spend more time in worship. It's amazing how when I worship that my attitude's where it needs to be. It's amazing how when I get my eyes on the Lord, the things of this world go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Amen? Turn your eyes upon Him. And so now it says there, that he rose early in the morning, and they set out from, the Acacia, from Acacia Grove and came to Jordan. Now, from Acacia Grove to Jordan is about a seven-mile trek. And so what does they do? He wakes them up. He says, okay, it's time. He had told them earlier, get ready. In about three days, we're going to head out. So sure enough, that's exactly what they did. They headed out to the Jordan River, getting ready finally after 40 years of anticipation. And it says there, and all the children of Israel lodged there before they crossed over. This is a key point. Two to three million men, women, and children were encamped on the banks of the Jordan River. Now why is this significant? Because this is the obstacle they're going to face next. And it says in the next verse, so it was after three days. So how long were they sitting on the the bank of the Jordan? Three days. Now we know because of the time of year, this is when the Jordan swells up to its largest size. We're going to see it later on in the text that the water is flowing over the banks. Those of you who have been to Israel, the Jordan River is not what it used to be. It's still a decent sized river, but it's nothing like it was. At this time of year, it would literally be about a mile across, and the water is raging by. Now you've got two to three million people sitting there for three days watching a raging river, thinking... How in the world are we going to get across this? Now remember that God allows trials to be put right in front of us that we might see Him work. Without a test, there can be no testimony. Without trials and difficulties in life, we would never grow. We would never grow. And so He puts the, here's the obstacle right in front of you. Now remember the previous generation, what did they do? Giants in the land, they went home. When the Red Sea came, oh, you brought us out here to die. Now we're going to see how this next generation is going to respond as they sat there and they awaited. They may have even wondered. No doubt there's probably some questions. What's Joshua going to do? You've got three million people prone to whining. You know there's going to be questions. How is he going to get us across? It's one thing for two spies to swim across, but three million people. We've got possessions and stuff and cattle. And how in the world? We've got children with us. How in the world are we going to get through to the other side. One thing again for a few spies to make it, another for, all, for three million people with all their possessions. They may have even thought we can't build enough boats. I don't even know what their bridge building abilities were back then. But again, it would take too long and if the enemy saw us out here, we'd be sitting ducks. We've come so far. It's been so long. We're now so close. And it's at a moment like this that the talk of living in that wonderful land of promise may have started to sound hollow. This may have seemed like an impossible barrier for them to cross. How will God do, what will God do with this one? Three days, time to understand they couldn't do it apart from God. Sometimes we wonder why God doesn't answer our prayer right away. It's always by design, did you know that? 
always. We pray in our time, God answers in his time. And he had him sit there for three days without a doubt in my mind because he wanted him to see the obstacle. He wanted them to know, we can't do this. By our, there's no way we're going to get our families. There's no way we're going to get all the children across. There's no way we can get the cattle across. The land of promise is right there. We can see it. It's right there. And we can't get there. And they could moan and they could complain. How can you and I enter in? How can we go there? Had to contemplate that and realize they couldn't do it on their own. How do you and I enter into all that God has for us? How do we experience the power of the Holy Spirit upon us? Do we follow our emotions? Are we moved through man-made efforts? Here's the answer in verse 3. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. So after three days, they went through the camp and said, Okay, guys, you're, you're at the edge of the water. You're wondering how we're going to get across. Here's what you're going to do. When you see the ark coming through with the priest, follow it. Go for it. Go after it. Go after the ark. Follow the ark with reckless abandon. Trust God. Go for it. Follow it. Man, I love this. Sixteen times in Joshua chapter 3 and 4, you see the ark mentioned. What is the ark? If you haven't been here much, the ark was a box. Gold-plated box. It was where God's glory dwelt within the tabernacle. Inside the ark were three items. Manna, what else? Ten commandments, and the staff of Moses, or Aaron, excuse me, the high priest. All pictures of Christ. Jesus is the great high priest. He is the bread of life. And he is, again, also the, uh, the fulfillment of the law. You know, the Ten Commandments. So we see here that these things are in there. And then on top of it were the cherubim, which are angels, gold-plated. Now, it was in the tabernacle. And on, again, the Day of Atonement, they would go in and they would sprinkle blood on the box. Okay? Only the high priest could go in. Only once a year. And, he, and again... If anybody else touched the ark, what happened to them? Died immediately. Touched not the glory. They had to carry it with poles. God's glory dwelt there. And as we, you and I know, the ark is a picture of the resurrection as well. Because when you look in the Gospels, when they go into the tomb, and they look in, what do they see in the tomb? They see blood in the middle, inside the linen that Jesus had been wearing, and on the foot and at the top, two angels. Just like on the ark, two angels, the blood sprinkled in the middle. You look in, two angels, the blood sprinkled in the middle, a picture of the resurrection. So what's he telling them here? In times of difficulty, in times of struggle, when things are overwhelming, when it looks like the obstacles are beyond your help, pursue God with your whole heart. Pursue the Lord with your whole heart. Get your eyes on Him and go for it with reckless abandon. That's what he's telling them. You know what? Don't worry about the circumstances. Don't worry about the size of the rushing water. Don't worry about how far across it is. Just trust God. Put your faith in Him. Put your hope in Him. And again, the ark is a picture of the throne of God. And again, we see it covering the law. You know what I love about it too? The mercy seat covers the law. I love that. Because it's God's mercy. If you take the mercy seat off and look into the law, you die. We need the mercy of God covering the law because we can't be saved through the law. Amen? So that mercy seat is on top of it. 
So Joshua now is going to obey God's command because he says to them, he commanded the people. The Lord told him, this is what I want you to do, and immediately told the people. And that's Joshua's heart. He didn't send out engineers to try to figure out how to build a bridge. He didn't send out and say, okay, we, we've got a, a water problem, and we, got a, we need a boat. We need, he said, you know what we need? We need the Lord. The visible representation of God's presence with the people. Art going before them was an encouragement to their faith, and it meant that God was going before them as they went along the way. They were able to look and see the Lord in front of them. That's God's presence right there. We can trust that He's going before us, that He is on our side. When we see God moving, go for it. You know what I tell people all the time that move to a new area, and they go, there was no, there's no Calvary here, I'm looking for a church. I said, go find the place where God's doing great stuff and get involved there. I want to go where God's moving. I want to go where people are getting saved, where lives are being touched. Not just where a crowd's being drawn, but where the word of God's being delivered and people's lives are being changed. Notice again, they're not pursuing a gift, not pursuing an experience, not pursuing an emotional high, but pursuing God's presence, intimacy with the Lord. Too often we're looking for an experience. I like going to that church because of the, the way I feel during worship. Okay, well, feelings are part of it, but that's not it. It's not how you feel. It's not the experience that you have. The Word of God is very clear that what worship is for is to magnify the name of the Lord, not to magnify man or to give us the weebie-jeebies. Amen? Now, I can tell you this. When I worship, I get Jesus bumps sometimes. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit's moving on my heart. But it's, the, it's not about chasing the experience. It's not about chasing the latest fad or the latest thing. Instead, let's just chase the Lord. Let's just pursue Him. I don't want to pursue what's next to Him or behind Him. Let's pursue Him. And praise God that we can go directly to Him. So step number two for a more faithful walk is pursuing God's presence. Not pursuing a gift, an experience, or an emotion, but going after God Himself. And I love that. I underlined that in my Bible. Go after it. I like that. I like that a lot. Verse 4. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Now, interesting. Follow the ark, but not too close. Now, why in the world is that? Well, we know that a 1,000 or 2,000 cubits, a cubit was roughly 18 inches. And it was a totally inexact measurement. It's the distance between your elbow and your forefinger. That's how it works. If you're measuring cubits, right? So if you're buying a house by square footage, you get someone who's like really big. That's only 800 square feet, I think, right? Because the guy's got really long hands. It's only 400 cubits, right? But roughly that's about 18 inches. So that means they were to stay 3,000 feet behind the ark. They were to follow it, but that's half a mile. There's 5,200 square feet, in a, or 5,200 feet in a mile, right? So 3,000 is like half a mile behind the ark. So they were to pursue the ark, but pursue it at a distance. You know what? We're to go after the Lord, but we're not to push Him. We don't tell the Lord what to do or how to go, or we don't push Him in any direction. We just follow Him. Amen? We keep our eyes on Him, we watch where He's going, and we get in line with Him. We don't try to tell Him to get in line with us. Too much of this naming and claiming and grabbing and blabbing and tell God what to do thing. And, you know, if you tell God what to do, he's got to fall. Oh, time out. I'm so glad that's not true. Amen? Can you imagine some of the prayers people have prayed, commanding God to do stuff? What a train wreck the world would be in today. Amen? 
Praise God that he's in charge, not us. Praise God that we simply look where he is and we follow him. We don't tell him what to do. Be careful. Don't command God to do anything. Obey God. Don't command him. Amen? So it says they're, they're to keep their eyes on him. And I believe that distance showed something. A holy reverence. You know, we're to love God, have intimate fellowship with God, but we should never stop having reverence for God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And he is Abba Father. He is Daddy. He is the one whose lap we can crawl up into. But Daddy's still give out swats. Amen? Daddy is still, he's still God and you're not. And you know what? I, I, it bothers me sometimes the way I hear people talk about God like he's, you know, on par, you know, we're on par with him. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm so intimate with the Lord. I t- whoa, 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 whoa. He's God. And we still need to have reverence for him. So following at a distance was also so that this crowd of three million people were able to see. You know, if the ark was ten feet in front of them, nobody could see it. You get ten people back in the line, nobody could see it. Having a half a mile out front, everybody could see, everybody could pursue. But at the same time, there was reverence. And they were not to push the ark, but to follow it. They were not to be touching it. Touch not the glory. He alone is glorified and honored and worshipped. Worship. It says there, do not come near it that you may know the way you must, must go. Again, ark out front, leading the way, held in reverence. Israel was going to accomplish this impossible task. And how were they going to do it? Keeping their eyes on Jesus. How can you and I get through any trial of life? Keep your eyes on Jesus. No matter what's going on around you, look at it through his eyes. Look at it as you're looking unto him the author and finisher of our faith. Step number three for a more faithful walk, hold the Lord in a place of reverence and godly fear. You know what? If we fear God, it's going to change the way we, we act. If there's no fear of consequences in my life, eh, whatever. And that's Satan, one of Satan's biggest lies, isn't it? Just do it, God will forgive you. Trying to turn it into cheap grace. That license we've been talking about as we went through Galatians. That, you know, it's a license to sin. No, it's not. It's liberty from sin, but it's certainly not license to sin. And here's proof of that. Look what he says. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves. The word there for sanctify is also consecrate. It means to wash yourself, cleanse yourself, separate yourselves from worldly things that you may be focused on the Lord. I said this on Sunday, and maybe I'm the only one that's too simple-minded to be like this, but I'm I'm being honest with you. I can't focus on a lot of things at once. I only prepare one Bible study at a time. I know pastors that prepare six of them. I'm like, dude, I got no idea how you do that. I've got total tunnel vision on Joshua 3 on Sunday at 2 o'clock, as soon as I leave here. And when I leave tonight, I'll be able to total tunnel vision on Ephesians 1. I can focus on one thing at a time. One passage at a time. And I believe the same is true. When, our, when we're focused on God and we're passionate about God, we won't be falling away into the things of the world. But when we're focused on the world, it's hard to get our eyes back on God. And so he says to them, okay, guys, I'm going to do a miraculous work. I'm going to bring you into my highest. But you know what? In preparation, set yourself apart. Sanctify yourselves. Put away the things of this world and get your eyes on me that when I move, you see me move. Set your eyes, again, on the things above, not on things of this earth. In type, it's being emptied of the flesh 
and being filled with the Spirit. As John the Baptist would say, I must decrease that he might increase. Notice again, they're getting ready to march in. They're getting ready to face some great enemies. They're getting ready to go over the, this you know, raging river. And he doesn't say, build a boat. And he doesn't say, mount up the army. He says, sanctify yourself. Consecrate yourself unto the Lord. You're getting ready to, going through difficulty in your life? Get right with God. Get right with, don't get your ducks in a row and try to get your finances. Just get right with the Lord. Pursue Him. Make Him the priority and watch out and see what God will do. Step number four to a more faithful walk. Separate yourself from the world and unto the Lord. Hey, we're to minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. Amen? We're to minister to the world. We don't go sit up on a mountaintop somewhere and chant till God comes back, right? Amen? He didn't save us so we could be monks. He saved us that we might be salt and light to a lost and dying world. He told us not to hide our light under a bushel. He told us, you know, to, you know don't let Satan blow it out, right? I'm going to let it shine. One of my favorite songs when I was a kid. And you know what? That's God's heart for us is let our light shine boldly to the world around us. And that's not going to happen if we're getting caught up in the things of this world. We need to be separated from the world, ministering to it but having no fellowship with it. You, you become like those you hang around with. So Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. So God's going to do great things. So get ready. God, you know what? God wants to do great things in your life. Get ready. God wants to use you and do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. Get ready. You know what? One of the, my favorite, again, you've heard me quote it a hundred times. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. God's not looking for a method. He's not looking for a message. He's not even looking for a movement. He's looking for a man or a woman that he can use. He's looking for someone who says, I'm right here, Lord, use me. He'll answer that prayer every time. And he's saying, sanctify yourselves. God's going to do great things. Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Verse 6. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So Joshua had received orders from the Lord and he was faithful to deliver it. He doesn't even know the details yet of how it's going to work. Notice he won't know. The Lord's going to speak to him again before he understands the details. He just knows so far God told him, Put the Ark in the front and send him out. Okay? What if, they ask me, what if they ask me what's going to happen when we get to the water? I'm telling you, just do what I told you to do. Just obey me. You know what? To obey is better than sacrifice. And sometimes we don't understand, we just need to obey anyway. Too often we want them to ask questions instead of obeying. I see that more and more with kids these days. You tell them to do something, why? Why do you got to do that? I remember hearing the illustration of a man who was across a road, his son, they'd stopped on the side of a road and his son was over picking apples off of a tree and he yelled out at his son drop to the ground now and his son dropped to the ground and he said crawl as fast as you can forward the kid started crawling as fast as he could forward he gets over to his dad and said dad what was all that about he said there was a poisonous snake hanging out of the tree right by your ear getting ready to bite you and too many kids they would drop to the ground why well why why'd i got to do that i might get you know oh too late now and too often, that's what we do with God. We, you know, when God's telling us obey, and we're like, we want reasons why. Well, tell me what's going to happen if I obey. 
What's going to be at the other end of it if I walk in obedience to you, Lord? No, just obey and trust God. Amen? And that's what he's telling them. Look, get the ark and start moving. And move out. And they don't even know what's going to happen yet. And I love that Joshua doesn't know, but he knows that God told him to. And that's all that matters to him. You know what? So often in the Bible, we see that faith always produces action. True faith produces action. Faith isn't just believing and sitting around and doing nothing about it. Faith produces an action. Faith is not a passive feeling, but an active force. It says Abraham believed God and he what? Went out not knowing where he was going. Moses believed God and he defied the gods of Egypt and led the Jews to freedom. Gideon believed God and led a small band of Jews to defeat the huge Midianite army. Noah believed God when he told him to build a boat and it had never rained before. It had never rained before and he spent 120 years building a boat. Talk about faith. Man. How much ridicule. Can you imagine building a boat when it's never rained and you're building a boat on dry land that's like four times the size of a football field? 120 years of ridicule. 120 years of being mocked until the rain started. Then no doubt there were people beating on the door and it was too late. Amen? Faith produces action. It's not, yeah, I believe he's going to flood the earth and sit around and do nothing. Yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back and sit around and do nothing. True faith produces an action. And so key number five to a more faithful walk with God is to trust God's word and to deliver it to others. Joshua had received God's word and he was obedient to deliver it to, the, to others. He didn't just take what God told him and hide it to himself and keep it to himself but he delivered it to others so that they too might put it into action. They took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Now look what it says. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. You, have, you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So he didn't even know what they were supposed to do until this verse. And he's already told them, go out. God told me, so go. And then the Lord says, you know what? Because you're walking in obedience, Joshua, you're a man I can use. So I'm going to exalt you before the people as I've exalted Moses. Why? Because Moses was obedient, and now Joshua was obedient. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one. He can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for that man, and Joshua obeyed. And you know what? God just wants us to obey. Now, Pastor Dave, we've been talking about grace, and now we're talking about obedience. You're talking about grace on Sunday mornings for six weeks, and now you're talking about obedience. Aren't those two things opposite? No, absolutely not. Because you know what? Walking in obedience to a God who loves me so much is a get to and not a have to. He knows what's best. He loves me. And, he, and you know what? He's got a plan for me. And I just need to trust him. Okay, Lord, whatever you say. Yes, Lord, I believe you. I, I trust you. I don't get it, but I don't need to. You get it, and that's all that matters. Amen? You know what's going on. Joshua exalted as God's man at the Jordan. And again, would be exalted. You know, it's interesting. At the Jordan, Joshua was exalted. Joshua's name, transliterated, is Jesus. Where did Jesus begin his public ministry? In the 
Jordan River. Think there's any chances in the Bible? Absolutely not. Man, don't you love it? It says here he'd be lifted up by the Father, and Jesus was lifted up and exalted by the Father at the same river. God's word rocks. That's when he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit fell upon him. Interesting that the Holy Spirit fell upon the Lord to begin his public ministry at the very spot that is a picture for, for you and I of water, of a spirit baptism. Nothing by chance in the Bible. That's why I just love the Old Testament pictures that reveal those New Testament truths in a more clear way. Joshua's miracle would bring the people into the land of promise, and it would be a miracle very much like the one that God had used Moses to deliver them out of bondage. Joshua was faithful, and God blessed him. When we're obedient, God is glorified, and we get blessed. Verse 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Exalt yourself, you shall commit the priest, as we just read, who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you've come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Now, these guys didn't understand what was going to happen when they stood in the Jordan, but he, was, he told them to stand there anyway. Go stand in the Jordan. He didn't say go stand in the Jordan and then. He said go stand in the Jordan. But we got the ark, and we know how important this is, and we're not even allowed to touch it. And you want us to get in a raging river, right? So we get in there, and that ark starts tilting and all, and we we're dead. But you know what? God told them to go. You know, many years ago, Pastor Don McClure, who I... I had the blessing of serving under in San Jose for six years, left a thriving church to go to a church that was $11 million in debt, that had only 100 people left, and was struggling big time. It was about to file bankruptcy, and they came to Chuck Smith and said, somebody, could you send somebody up to take this church? And Don's being stirred up. He's got a church that's thriving and growing in Southern California that's healthy, and feels like God's stirring him up. He goes and meets with Chuck Smith, and Chuck says, they're praying together. I know what you're supposed to do. Go to San Jose. What's up there? $11 million worth of debt and 100 people that are from a really hyper-Pentecostal background that are swinging from the chandeliers. And I want to do that because... But I got a thriving church of thousands that's blessed and growing. He said he was driving home, and as he drove home, he was giving himself the Ben Franklin clothes. If you don't know what that is, you put all the positive on one side and all the negatives on the other. There's no room for that in the kingdom of God, by the way. So you write it all down, and he said, I had 500 reasons on this side to stay. My kids love it here. They've grown up here. The church is thriving. We just opened the high school. The Bible college is doing great. Whoa, 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 whoa. He only had one reason on the other side to go to San Jose. God said, oh, man. <laughs> Off to San Jose you go. God said, why do you put your feet in the river? God said, but I don't understand. God said. I'm leaving a church that's thriving and growing and is blessed, and I'm leaving to go to a church that's hurting, and there's millions of dollars in debt, and I'm, you know, I want to be able to be paid. And I, what, how am my family going to eat? How are we going to survive? God said, go. Praise God he went. Because that church became very healthy. He, he was there for three years before he got paid a dime, and he ate out of the food bank to keep his family fed. You know what? There's a man I want to, I want to work with the ministry. A man who said, God said, okay, that's enough for me. I'm going. And you know what? We need to have that heart when it comes to all of every aspect of life. God said, that's enough for me. I don't need God said, and then, a, you know, I've got to do the Ben Franklin clothes. Let me figure out how it's going to work out for me, right? All right, Lord, you've got to give me A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, and J before I move. And God just says, no, I just want you to go. And you know what? It made no sense, but they trusted God anyway. Joshua said, go. God said, go. 
could have faithlessly thought that he was putting the ark into harm's way. He told the priest to stand in this raging river, holding on to the ark of the covenant, the, you know, the place where God's presence dwelt. And then it says, So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. When I was a youth pastor, I used to say the flashlights and the termites. I mean, all the innies in the eye. You know what he's saying? Look, I want you to see my power so that you'll know when the greater enemies come on the other side, you'll have already seen my faithfulness. You will already have seen my hand at work. You know who often, virtually always, are the people I know with the greatest amount of faith, the people who have been through the greatest amount of difficulty and seen God come through every single time. One of my favorite Bible teachers, a guy named John Corson, he lost his wife in a car accident, and then years later he lost his daughter in a car accident. Incredible. I can't even imagine. And the guy remains faithful. You know what that does? When the next trial comes, does he believe in God? Is he trusting God? I know people have been delivered from, from you know, diseases that were supposed to be terminal. Is that person going to have great faith when the next thing comes along? But we're crying out to God and questioning God when the terminal illness comes. And all along he's saying, I want you to go through this so you'll be ready for the greater enemies when they come. I want you to understand what it's like having lost your job and going through those tough times. So when the greater difficulties come with your teenage kids, when the greater difficulty comes and you're diagnosed with cancer, you'll already know that I'm faithful. He says, guys, I want you to come out here. I want you to hear the word of the Lord. I want you to stand at the bank of the Jordan. I want you to watch what God's going to do. Because when we go in and all those armies are mounted up and they're ready to pounce on us, I want you to go, I remember what happened at the Jordan. I remember what God did last time. I remember how he rained manna from the sky. I remember how he wiped out the Egyptians. You know, though the, most of that generation passed away. But I want you to remember. I want you to see my hand. You know what? We cry out and think God's being unfaithful when all he wants to do is make us more faithful. When all he wants to do is teach us the lesson so that we can grow. You know what? We should not question God, but glorify him instead. How do we have a more faithful walk? Step number six. Humble yourself and glorify God. Humble yourself. Say, Lord, whatever you say, I'm doing it. I'm your servant. Where do you want me to go? I'll go. And glorify God and heed his word and obey his counsel. Verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, then the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters shall come down from upstream, and they will stand as a heap. Now when's this going to happen? As soon as they do what? Put their feet in the raging river. It's not till you step out in faith. It's not until you say, okay, Lord, you say you're going to do it, so okay, I'm going. And too often, we want the river to part, we want there to be dry land, we want a Starbucks halfway across. <laughs> Put up some retaining walls, Lord, and, you know, you know give me a, something to ride across on, and, you know, Lord, just set everything, and then I'll go. And the Lord says, you know what? Put your foot in the water. Put your foot in when the water's raging by, and you just don't understand. Trust me. Trust me when it doesn't make 
sense to you. The ark, the Lord of all the earth, is crossing over before you. And again, it was already a done deal if you simply trusted God. He said, watch and see. He's telling them what's going to happen. He doesn't say it might happen, it could happen, it's going to happen. Why? Because God said. And aren't you glad you can just trust God's word? God said. You know, the Bible says that he will provide for you. So he will provide for you, amen? He's faithful to provide. It says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. So he will never leave you nor forsake you. He says that you will inherit eternal life. Praise God for that. That means you will inherit eternal life, amen? We need to come to that point where we say, okay, Lord, you said that's enough for me. I don't need any other signs you said. God said it. That settles it. That's enough for me. I'm going to follow you. As soon as your feet, as soon as they, again, the impossible problems in their way are not seen as an oppressive trial, but a glorious opportunity to see God work. And again, there was no doubt potential fear. What if I step in and it doesn't part? You think some of the priests might have thought that? They could have. What if I step in and it doesn't happen? The people will blame me. They said God was going to do it, but maybe I'm not worthy. And maybe, right? You ever done that? God's telling you to do something, but yeah, but maybe someone else. Not me, though. I can't do it. There's also the temptation to remain on the banks and stay dry and never enter in. You know what? There's so many Christians living dry walks because they're afraid to step into the river. They live in a dry walk. They wonder why they're not impacting anybody. They wonder why they're, they're not sharing their faith. They wonder why they're not, you, you don't even know what their gifts are. You know what? And I, you, know, I, you, know, you guys know I love you, right? You always know that that means uh-oh, right? You know I love you. If you've been a Christian 20 years and you don't know what your gifts are, get off the bank. Amen? Put your foot out there. You know what? Dig a well and see what springs up. If you dig a well and nothing springs up, dig another one. Amen? Too often we're sitting waiting on the sideline for something and when God just says, step out. I want to use you. Man, I, you know what? I just want so desperately for us to experience all that God has for us. The choices for you and I is to step out in faith, to see God work, to experience His highest, to enter into His promise, or to remain on the bank, stay where it's dry and comfortable, miss out on God's highest, and never experience the real power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Guys, this is serious stuff. It really is. And can I tell you something? You guys know I'm a frail, I'm a, I'm a fouled man, I'm a frail man, I'm a sinful man, I'm a one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Can I tell you something? Every time I've stepped out in faith, I've never regretted it. Never. Ever. And I'll tell you what, I've had some that were pretty gnarly. Coming to Santa Cruz was one of them. I'm in a thriving church. I'm doing the men's ministry, the youth ministry. I've got a job where I'm being paid very well, you know, outside of the ministry and house set up. My kids love it there and everything's wonderful. Go to Santa Cruz with you and four other people and start a church from the ground up. Uh, Dave, put your, faith, put your foot in the river and watch me work. Just trust me. And you know what? I'm blessed to be here. There's nowhere in the world I'd rather be. And I think that there are other times when I've stayed, I know there are other times when I stayed on the bank and I missed out on God's highest. God wants to use you. God's gifted you. God's called each of us. And he wants to use us in a powerful way. Stepping out in faith, words of faith, instructions for a more faithful walk. Number one, begin your day with the Lord. Number two, pursue God's presence. Number three, have reverence and godly fear. Number four, separate yourself from the world. Number five, trust God's word 
and share it with others. And then lastly, humble yourself and glorify God. Now in these last few verses, we're going to move from words of faith to walk of faith. Actually putting feet to their faith. Putting what they believe or what we believe into action. So it was when the people set up from their camp to cross over the Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as the and those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. So again, it's raging. This wasn't putting their feet into a wading pool. They were sticking their feet into a raging river. They were holding the ark of God in their hands. They could have easily been overwhelmed. And so too, you and I are not stepping into a wading pool, but into the rushing and powerful river of the Spirit of the living God. Lord, I want all of you. Lord, I want, I, want, I want to serve you completely. Lord, I don't surrender some, I surrender all. Lord, I want to pursue everything that you have for me. And I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about pursuing Him. I'm talking about, Lord, be filled to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. I want to experience that power. You guys have seen it. With, in, and upon is how the Holy Spirit's described in the Bible. He's either with you, He's in you, or He is upon you. He's with the world, they calm their conscience. When you were born again, He went from being with you to being in you. Again, as Jesus breathed upon the disciples in Luke. But you know what? There's something greater. The Holy Spirit upon you. And the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with other tongues with great boldness. And what happened? The world was turned right side up. Amen? And God's just looking for those he wants to do the same thing with. Lord, I'm not satisfied being just with you or just having your spirit in me, but Lord, I want it upon me. I want that power of your spirit just flowing out of me and touching everybody around me. Some people get scared when you talk about that. Man, that just sounds radical to me. Pouring out of me. What are you talking about? You know what? Don't you just want all of it? Not that I might be glorified, but that he might be glorified that I might be able to have a life that counts for eternity. Because when this time has come and passed, only what, for, what we've done for Christ will last. It says in John 7, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is not a Pastor Dave thesis on what I think the Spirit does. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, out of you. It'll flow out of you. The Lord leads, but you and I must step out. The priest walked in obedience, and they led by example. And man, I love that. Somebody's got to be the example. Somebody's got to be the one when everybody else is standing by the river. Right? Somebody's got to be David when 11-foot, 750-pound Goliath is marching down to the bottom of the Valley of Elah, challenging the whole you know, Israelite army to a battle. You send down your champion, every guy, Right? 40 days and 40 nights, number of testing. David shows up delivering cheese to his brothers and says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? I'll fight him. Goes down there with a rock and a slingshot. You gotta love David, amen? And David slays Goliath because God was with him. Goliath goes down and guess what? Everybody got really bold all of a sudden. The whole army of Israel ran down the hill and chased again all the Philistines. Why? Because somebody was bold enough to step out. And God's looking for us to be the person to step out. Say, Lord, you know what? I just, I surrender it all. I can't do anything without you, but Lord, I want to do everything that you've called me to do. Verse 16. That the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose 
and rose in a heap far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. You know what I love about this? The water was actually stopped up 19 miles before they were, the place they were going to cross. So that means that God knew when they were going to put their feet out, because he had already stopped it, and when they put their feet out, it was dwindling away because he'd already stopped it, knowing they were going to put their feet out. Sovereignty of God. Amen? He knew. Did he make them do it? No. But you know what? He knew they were going to. And he was going to bless it. And God desires to do the same thing with us. And I love the fact that God was working out of their sight range. They didn't see it, but God, God was working. Sometimes you're going through trials and you don't see it, but God's working. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. Last verse. Then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Man, I love this. Because not only did he stop the water, but he dried the ground up. The riverbed wasn't muddy and soggy. It was dry. Because that's God. Amen? God just said, you know what? You need to walk across on dry ground. So I'm going to dry the ground up. I'm going to stop the water up. And you're going to walk through on dry ground. And then I love that it says this about the priests. They stood firm on dry ground. God miraculously dried the ground and the priests stood firm. And they stayed as long as it would take for seven million, several million people to cross. How long were they standing there? Long time. Sometimes it takes, you know, you take four kids to Disneyland. You can't get them across Fantasyland in an hour. You know what I mean? Can you imagine three million people? And they stood firm. And the way, you know, the water's, right? They just stood there. I love that. May we stand firm in the place that God wants us to be. Amen? And this ark, this cross, cleared the way. It wasn't the priest that cleared the way. It was the ark that cleared the way. It's not the man it was the ark, and the ark is a picture of the cross. God's desire is that we bring men and women to the cross, that we glorify God. Let me ask you a question. Have you entered into God's highest? Have you received the Spirit since you believed? There's so much more God wants to do with us. May we not live dry Christian walks. May we not be satisfied camping outside of the Jordan with Gad and Manasseh. May we be the ones to say, Lord, I want everything you have for me. Lord, use me. Here I am, Lord, use me. And I'm not talking about a hyped up emotional thing. It's just a choice. Lord, I want to do everything you have for me, Lord. I want my life to count for your kingdom. I want to be able to say again that when this time has come and passed, only what I've done for Christ will last, and I want my life to have counted. So stepping out in faith, words of faith. Begin your day with the Lord. These are instructions for a faithful walk. Pursue God's presence. Have reverence and godly fear. Separate yourself from the world. Trust God's word and share it with others. Humble yourself and glorify God. And then lastly, the walk of faith and stepping out in faith. You need to put your feet to your faith. You need to come to a place where you're putting what you believe into action. It's not belief unless we do something with it. Not just saying, I believe, well, I believe that we need the blood of the lamb or we're going to die. They had to take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the door or they would die. It's not just believing in Jesus, but it's putting action to our faith. Lord, I trust you. I believe you. I come to the cross of Christ humbly. I'm repentant and broken before you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. 
We thank you for this picture of entering into your highest, Lord, that spirit-filled life that you desire for every single person in this room. Lord, may we not be satisfied just with the get-out-of-hell-free card. May we not be satisfied, Lord, realizing we're saved and then just becoming complacent in our walk. Lord, we want to see Santa Cruz turn right side up. Lord, we want to see our neighbors and our family and our friends who don't know you come to know you. And Lord, we want to be tools in the hands of our master that you can use for your glory. Father, I pray that when the trials come, that our eyes will be on you. That we'll be looking at the ark that goes before us, your glory. Lord, that we will not grow weary in well-doing. And then, Father, that when the time comes, that we'll put our feet into the river. That we'll step out in faith so that we can watch you work. Lord, you know, I know your word says you want to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Lord, here we are. Use us. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. You're a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.